All right. Uh, things have kind of been on my mind uh, lately. And uh, I've just been thinking about things. I, I see a lot of stuff, uh, and I hear a lot of things from people. Um, there's so much, so much doctrine that can be uh, misunderstood, can be taught in a very, very wrong way. And a lot of this goes back to the simple fact that we we do not know who the God of Scripture is. And that sounds odd, doesn't it? I mean, we're reading the Bible, we're reading things, but yet when you start looking at the Scripture and how God has revealed Himself through His attributes and through the names that He has said, I am the God of this, I am this God, like Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh, provides god is our provider that's one of the names and so my mind is i want to go through these names that, that that when the children of israel came and they came to a place of something and they went through something and god said i am jehovah jireh or jehovah nissi which is the name we're going to be dealing with today meaning god the lord is my banner it helps everything else that we can understand. Does that make sense? Um, so with that being said, if you got your Bibles, open them up to Exodus chapter 17. And while you're doing that, I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this morning uh, I stand before you feeling very unworthy and very inadequate, Lord. Uh, such a task to... I always find that that I feel very, very, very small when I try to teach on the things of how you have revealed yourself to us, that no matter how much I think I could have exhausted it, I feel embarrassed to even say something like that, because you're God, and there is no way we could ever exhaust the teaching on you. But in, in this day, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would give me grace I pray that you give grace to everyone here under the sound of my voice, that, God, that our minds would be opened to maybe see and understand um, what you have taught us, what you're teaching us, and what this means to us and how we apply this in our lives today. And we just pray that your will would be done, nothing more, nothing less. Um, I pray that you get glory. Your, Your word is proclaimed and Christ is exalted. Amen. I'm going to read this text, and we're going to go back, and we're going to look at it. And where we're at, just to kind of give you just kind of a background of where you're at, Moses has just brought the children of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. And they are beginning their, their journey to the promised land. And they have come through the wilderness of sin, and And here it says in verse 8, it says, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. And so Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men to go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And so Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. 
And whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it. And while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, the other on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now, when we back up, church, and we begin to look at this, you've got, you, you, what you're picturing is Moses has just brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. God did everything. I mean, he provided the means for them to go, the way. I mean, God's doing, he parted the Red Sea, and they are following Moses, his servant, to the promised land. Now, there's a couple of firsts that we're going to see in this. This is the first mentioning of, of Joshua in the Scriptures. The first time he's mentioned. And the first time he's mentioned, what does Moses say? Mo, he says, Joshua, I want you to choose out men... And I want you to go fight with Amalek. Now, who's Amalek? Amalek is the, the descendant of Esau, the brother of Israel, who really hated his brother, right? And so what you're getting a picture of is Amalek has come out, and he's going to try to stop the people of God from continuing their journey. And so Moses says, choose out men and go out and fight with Amalek. Now, it's called the Amalekites. I mean, Amalek is just a shortened verse. It's like when we say Israel. It's really the Israelites. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a whole group of people. Now, I want you to think about something. As he goes out to fight, do you think that Israel was battle-tested? Why? They had been under bondage for some 400 years, right? They didn't have warriors and, and an army and things like that. And so he's saying, go out and fight. Now, you've got to almost picture what may be going through Joshua's mind. Now, he says, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek, for tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Now, the staff of God was a picture to the children of Israel. It's, I mean, when they looked at this staff or this rod, it was, it was the symbol of God's authority. I mean, when Moses did things with this staff, I mean, miraculous things happened, right? You go back and you see the plagues and you see the Red Sea parting. And, and so when Moses goes up, now look, the very purpose of him going up is so the people can look up and they can see Moses up there, and they see this symbol of the authority of God. And listen, I'm, folks, what he's trying to get across is, it's going to bring some encouragement. Okay? That's what's going to happen here. And he says, so, so Joshua did as Moses told him, and he fought with Amalek. Now listen to this. And while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up, to the top of the hill. And whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And when he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. Now I want to ask you something. What does it mean 
that Moses held up his hand or lifted up his hands. What is that a picture of? What does the Scripture, when it talks about the lifting up of hands, what is he always referring to? Prayer. He's talking about prayer and praise to God. And here's what's going on. Basically, you've got a picture of Joshua going down and fighting with Amalek. You have a picture of Moses going up and interceding to God while the battle is going on. One is a physical battle down in the field. The other is the spiritual battle up here on the hill. Is any of this starting to sound a little familiar to us? Folks, let me tell you something. We've got people in the mission fields, whether it's right here or whether it's out over in, others, in other foreign countries that are out there. There are people that are going forth and fighting the physical, and there should be people who are doing the spiritual. Now, it's all got to be done in a physical way, but there must be intercession being made to God in the heat of the battle. There must be. Look what it says. It said, when Moses' hands were up, Okay, when it was like this, Israel was prevailing in the battle. They were winning the war. They were overcoming the enemy that was standing opposing them from going to where God is leading them. But when Moses grew weary, his hands began to drop. Have you ever played that game where you, you hold your hands out or you get in trouble? And your dad says, you, you stick your hands out and you hold them there. Man, it's okay right at first, but after a while, I mean, they start coming down. And when Moses' hands began to drop, the Amalekites began to prevail in the battle. Basically, you could say it like this, when the intercession was coming to a halt, the enemy started overcoming that's why when I talk to you and I tell you that we need to precede every work we do, it needs to be preceded in prayer. It needs to be continued while the work is going on. And it needs to be followed up with prayer and praise and worship when those victories are won in the name of Christ. What does Amalek represent to us? It's the enemy, right? Now, in this situation, it's pretty easy to spot who your enemy is, isn't it? It's one nation against another nation, right? Not hard to distinguish that one. But I'm going to tell you the Amalekites in our lives today, we have indwelling sin that we heard a little bit about this morning that we have to battle with that comes to oppose us from fulfilling God's great commission, from fulfilling the purpose that God has for us individually and corporately in our lives. We have to battle those sins that war against our soul. We've got enemies that are going to try to prevent. Listen, folks, if you're like, man, our church is so great, we don't even have no opposition. If your church is that great that, and you have no opposition, it means your church isn't doing anything. If you're not going forward... You're not going to be opposed. Not going to happen. So look what it says. He says, 
So whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. This is verse 11 again. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. Now listen to this, folks. He says, Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Now, now it doesn't sound like much. It, it doesn't sound, I mean, it's like, here's Joshua down there fighting, and Moses, all he's got to do is stand on the hill. Have you ever just had to stand for a long time? Have you ever had to just hold your arms up for a long time? It doesn't sound like much, does it? But what is it, what is it a picture of again? Prayer. I find it incredible, not in a good way. I find it incredible when missionaries come. Now, in our minds, a lot of times we're thinking, yeah, they always say, what we really want from you is prayer. But we're thinking, yeah, they're wanting some money. They always say that because they're really wanting some money. Folks, they probably are wanting some money. There's probably reasons they need money. But I believe that they are really wanting our prayers. And here's what's amazing. We, we who are not on the front line of the physical, going out into the jungle like Trevor Johnson and Paul Snyder, or going into Bangladesh in the filth and the disgustingness of Bangladesh, like the Burwells or, or whoever else it may be, living in sometimes horrid conditions, and we find it is just too wearisome for us to pray. And then we hear reports, we can't get anything going. We're trying to do a Bible study, but nobody will come. We're trying to do this, but this guy's preventing us. I want to ask you something. Could Joshua have won the battle without Moses going on top of the hill? Could the battle have been won with Moses going up on the hill, but Joshua not going out and fighting? No. They could not do it. They took stone, they put it under his hand, and Aaron and Hur held up his hands one on one side and the other on the other side. I believe there's a big, a big importance that when we do things, you know, when Jesus sent his disciples out, he'd send them out two by two. There's, there's a good reason for that. Has anybody been alone much and you're just alone and your thoughts get negative and you get, you start having a lot of doubt and you start having a lot of things like that happen and next thing you know, your prayer life is dwindling because, man, what am I, what am I doing? And but there's something about when you when you have that fellow labor coming alongside. And when you're down, he says, man, let's pray. Or he's down and you say, let's pray. You're, you, you, one, you know what? When me and Justin first started going to the streets, when we first started going to the streets and, and, and doing a little bit of street evangelism, and we were scared to death, both of us were. We walked all the way down the... Or the movie theater, we walked that whole half moon and all the way back. And it was embarrassing because we weren't talking to anybody. We were loaded with tracks. We're ready. We've been watching the way of the master. And now we're not looking at each other because we don't want to even look at each other. Like, why ain't you doing so? Why ain't you? You know, we get all the way back and we kind of look at each other and we go, Whew, it's tougher than I thought. And we hadn't even done anything. 
You'd see a little old lady. I've said this, but I remember seeing this lady, and I mean, I was like, a little old lady. That would be easy. And she's like, whoa, she looks pretty intimidating. That was the thoughts going through our minds. Finally, I stopped and started talking to these, these like college-age girls going into a store, and we, we got to preach the gospel. The next time it was his turn to do it, and the next time it was mine and this. But you know what? About a year later, I don't know what happened exactly. We went over to the county fair, and Justin, he, he did it. And then we kind of take turns like that, and I, I, I froze up. Now, here, here's something you got to know about me and Justin. I'm, I'm, a lot of people say, is that your son? <laughs> How embarrassing. But I am a little bit older than him. But, but he'll tell you this. I kind of don't even want to say this, but he, he will tell you this. I, I've kind of mentored him, okay? And I was the one that was froze up. And he looked at me, he goes, man, what's the matter? And I said, I don't know, man. I said, I'm just having a hard time. He goes, that's all right, I'll do it. Well, then, because he continued, it gave me courage to go ahead and be able to do it. You see, nobody is exempt from having moments of weakness. Nobody's exempt from freezing up. Nobody's exempt from falling on their head sometimes. And so when Moses is up on the hill and he's tired, it's not just on Moses to do this. They say, Moses, sit on this rock. Rest your feet. Aaron or Aaron says to her, you grab that arm. I'm going to grab this arm. Let's lift him up. Let's help him do this. What are we seeing? We're seeing one person interceding, and now we're seeing people coming alongside and interceding with him that the battle... Maybe one. And look what it says. Their hands, they held his hands. It says they, they held his hands up one on one side, one on the other. And then it says, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Now, everything in the Word of God, I feel like, is there for a reason. When it talks about the going down of the sun, this wasn't just some trivial attack by a band of marauders to maybe rob the Israelites, and it's not going well. I'm like, hey, let's get out of here. You know, when you see somebody try to mug somebody, and it doesn't go good at first for them, they'll usually run. They don't stand there and fight it out until death or something, you know. No, they were there with the very intent motive of stopping and annihilating Israel. And it says... This went on. They held his hands up until the going down of the sun. A couple things you might, you know, glean out of that is this. This is something that is a lifelong commitment. It is something that is to be done until the battle is won. It is something that teaches us there is a perseverance for the saints of God until the end. They held his hands up until it was won. In American Christianity, we are so quick to start off with good ideas, good intentions, pray a little bit. Doesn't really work out great, so we abandon the project. Does that sound familiar? If we don't get immediate results, you see, folks, we don't get this from Scripture. We get this from our culture. That kind of mentality comes from um, the American dream. You know, matter of fact, it's not even the American dream. The American dream actually taught you work hard. 
and get what you can get. Now the American dream is do nothing and they'll give you everything. Seen on Facebook today, somebody says, tell me how I can become an illegal alien. They're getting all the benefits. <laughs> kind of made sense. Let me tell you something. Uh, there's a group down in Carrollton, Texas called Gospel for Asia, headed up by K.P. Yohannan. It's a ministry that funds missionaries in India. It's indigenous missionary work, meaning the natives of India are missionaries to their own people. And they can do it a lot cheaper than sending somebody over there. And I, I get all that. But we got a video from him. And, and one of the stories on the video went like this. A guy, one of the guys that had been converted and wanted to, to, to evangelize his people, he went to a part of India that was very remote. I mean, these people had never really heard anything except for their false religions and such. And this guy's by himself. He's, I mean, he's, I mean, it shows the way they're dressed. I mean, they're, 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 they're shoes, their clothing, they are very poor people. And he goes into a village and he's, and, and he's met with threats. He's met with rejection. He's met with opposition. You know, he just keeps going. At one point in, in his testimony, I mean, he's, you hear him just talk about continually praying and praying and praying. And at one point, he says, I went up on the hill that was outside the city. He could look down upon the city, and he, and he, go, he fasts. I think he said for 40 days. I think that's what it was. It might have been 30 or 40 days. Now, we as Americans, such a great effort as that, God is surely going to respond now, right? He goes back and he told you do anything else, we're going to kill you. And then he says this. Now, he says, everybody had rejected me. Everybody was wanting to beat me and kill me and all this. And then he says this. He says, so I, I went to the only people who would listen to me. Now, you're thinking, didn't you just say he said everybody? Yeah. All the adults. And what he did was he started gathering up the children, teaching them Bible songs, and teaching them the stories about Jesus, teaching them stories from the Bible. And guess what? The kids would go home and they'd sing these little songs they'd learned from this man. They'd sing them at the house. Their parents started hearing these words and they said, what are these songs you're learning? And then you know what? The parents came and they said, tell us about these songs and these stories. In that city, a lot of those people in that town, that village got saved. You probably won't find that in American Christianity because we're too bought into our culture. Kind of like that. It's like old James Bond going or something. Um, and then listen to this. It said, His hands were steady until the going down of the sun. There was perseverance. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. I'm just going to tell you straight up. As Christians... We're not trained in the ways of the world to fight with the world the way that they fight. Okay? I fully believe that Amalek was a nation, a tribe of people that was very much knew how to go to war and knew how to fight. The children of Israel had been slaves in Egypt. They were not trained for war. But they didn't go to war fighting with the same methods and manners that t people typically fought. Now, what am I talking about? 
he says, in verse 14, he says, The Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book, and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And I don't really have time to go into all that, but you get down to Samuel in the book of Samuel where Saul destroys the Amalekites all but Agag the king. And, and then there's even people that say in Esther that uh, Haman was a descendant from the Amalekites. But ultimately God blotted them out. But he said, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears. Now, this is the first recording we have in Scripture where God has told Moses to write something. This is the first time. He says, I want you to write this down as a memorial. This memorial, what, what is this memorial? It's, it, Moses, it says, he, he built an altar. Listen to this. It says, he built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is My Banner. God's saying, I want you to remember this battle. And so what does Moses do? He turns right around and he builds an altar and he calls the name of it, the Lord is my banner. Now, how do y'all like that name that God gives himself? I remember the first time I heard that, I thought, what in the world does that mean? Look at it in this way. The Lord is is our standard. He is our ensign. He is what is lifted up that we look to. The Lord is my banner. And see, why is, see, listen, he tells Moses. Now, who's Moses? Moses is the guy that's leading God's people, right? It would be very easy for the people down there in the battle to go, man, we couldn't have won this battle without Moses, Right? Man, Moses is the man. If his hands are up, we're winning. I mean, can you imagine the confidence that was being built? Man, if his hands are up, I'm feeling pretty strong. I feel discouragement. I feel fear when his hands are dropping. It had been very easy for them to point to Moses, right? But what does Moses do? He turns right around and builds an altar, an altar to sacrifice to the Lord. And he says, I'm going to call this the name of it, the Lord is my banner. What Moses is doing is he's turning right around and he's saying, it's not because you fought, it's not because I went on the hill, it's because of God that we won the battle. He is our standard. He is our banner. He is the one that we lift up. You can put it like this. You know, we sing a lot of songs, even in the the Star Spangled Banner. I mean, yeah, that song right there. I mean, you know, you go to the Olympics, you go to war. Man, we hold up that American flag. I've heard Olympians talk about when they won and they saw the flag and everything that America was supposed is supposed to stand for. And they're just emotional. Their tears are coming down. They want it for their country. Under the banner of the United States of America... I'm going to tell you something. Our banner is so much beyond old glory. Our banner is not a flag. Our banner is not something on a pole. Our banner is the Lord Himself. He is our standard. And he said, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. And 
probably a more accurate way of saying that was he was saying the hand of the Amalekite was trying to grab a hold of the throne of the Lord, meaning upon his people and to destroy them. And the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Write this down as a memorial, Moses. And Moses said, I want you all to remember this, that it is the Lord who wrought this battle for Israel and for his glory this day. And my question to you is this. What is your banner? What is the standard that you hold up that you feel like is, this is what I operate under? Man, I mean, you think about it today. My gosh, I'd almost hate to even have anybody raise any hands, but shame on you if you do this. I'm going through a problem. There's two sources I can go to, and I think they're back to back. Oprah and Dr. Phil. Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? I hope you're saying amen. Because there's a lot of people that will go to that. They'll go to Dr. Oz. They'll go to that nut job. I can't even think of his name right now. Some kind of weird professing Christian. I can't even think of his name. It's driving me crazy. But you probably know who I'm talking about. And there's so many Christians saying, oh, he's a Christian. He's a, no, he's a heretic. He thinks he's going to be God. He thinks we're all gods. I just can't think of his name. I apologize for that. Is your banner, is it your church, is it your denomination? I I get really sick of things like this. I'm a die in the wool, whatever, Southern Baptist. Well, maybe you need to get saved. You might need to be saved too, I don't know. It doesn't mean you're a Christian. Is it this church? Is it your pastor? Is it the doctrines of grace? I've seen people so in love with the doctrines of grace. That's all they talk about. That's all they argue about. And I really, really have strong questions whether they're even a Christian. What is your standard? If you're an unbeliever here today, you don't know the Lord... We have a picture. I'm going to show you something. In the third chapter of the the Gospel of John, listen to this. Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was considered the teacher of Israel. I mean, he was good. And he has just told Nicodemus, he said, Except a man be born again, he shall not enter into the kingdom of God. And he goes on, How can a man be born again? Can he enter into his mother's womb? You know, all that stuff. And look what, you get down to verse 12, and look what Jesus tells Nicodemus. He says, If I have told you earthly things, and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? He says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up and 
that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, if you want to, turn over to Numbers chapter 21 with me. We're going to see what he's talking about. In Numbers 21, this is what he says. The people in, in, in 21, 4, it says, and from Mount Hor, he says, they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. He says, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no food and no water, and we loathe this, worst, this worthless food. They're loathing the manna that God had given them. And then the Lord, listen, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. And so Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on the pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at that bronze serpent and live. I'm going to tell you something. If you was in that camp of Israel back in that day, on that time, and a snake would have come out and would have bit you, you had one option. You had one standard to look to. And it was that bronze serpent up on a pole. And if you failed to do that, you were going to die. There are people today who want to look for all kinds of things for a so-called salvation, whether it's Islam, Hindu, Buddhism, false cults, false religions, whether it's AA, whether it's NA, all of these anonymous programs, and they're looking to be saved. But most of these people are looking for a temporary salvation that says, let me have the best life I can have right now. I'm not worried about eternity. And I'm going to tell you this. The best life you can possibly have now and the life that you can have in eternity has one standard. And His name is Jesus Christ. And if you fail to look to Him, you will die in your sins. But if you look to Him in faith and you turn from your sins and you follow Him, I promise you this, you will have your best life here. It's just not the one that Joel Osteen described to you. You may be a missionary on a mission field. You may have, you, God may say, I want you, Martin Lloyd-Jones, to quit being a doctor, and I want you to be a pastor. And it will be your best life now. Because it is a life that is following Christ. It is a life that is filled with Christ. It is a life that is exalting Christ. It is the best life you can have. And when that physical life is gone, you will have eternal life. If you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, look to Him Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers. Calvinist, the doctrines of grace. You know where he was saved? In a little old primitive Methodist church. From a backup preacher who wasn't well equipped. But he says, young man, you look miserable. Look to Christ. And he did. 
And God saved him on January the 6th of that year of our Lord. You have one standard to look to if you're lost. You have only one. Now, for believers, if you will, turn your Bibles with me to to Acts chapter 3. As you turn to Acts chapter 3, I want you to think of something. I want you to be thinking about Act, I mean Matthew 28, 19 and 20. When he says what? Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel, right? I want you to go into all the world. It's terrible when you can quote something a million times and all of a sudden you can't. Maybe the Lord just wants me to actually read it. Listen to this. Hold your place there in Acts 3. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, listen, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's go. He says, go. I want you to teach. I want you to make disciples. I want you to baptize them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I want you to know that I'm going to be with you always to the end of the age. There's the commission, go. God told Moses, take my people and go. I've got a land promise. I'm promising you this. Go. As we go, there's going to be opposition. Okay? There's going to be opposition. He's like, wait a second, the Lord's with us. Yeah, and the Lord's with them too. And there's going to be opposition. Folks, we live, our church is in Ada. Most of us live here. Listen, I don't want to be in a church that just talks about good things and we just have dinners together and we just get in these, this building and we just, you know, just fellowship together. I want to take it. I want to go out there with it. And you know what? When we go out these doors and we're praying about going out there and as we're going and people are doing things and people are praying when we're doing things, I will promise you we're going to meet opposition. And the first time you meet it because you ain't used to it, you're going to go, I don't know if I like this or not. I'm supposed to have my best life now. We get these ideas in our mind that when we finally go do it, we're going to go to this group of people that's just been waiting for us to show up. And they're, and they're so glad we're there. And they're thrilled. And they just all want to sit down at our feet and go, just teach us. Well, I ain't ran across them people yet. I haven't done that. It's not like that. It might could be, and maybe there's an exception, but most of the time it's not like that. Most of the time you're going to be met with opposition. There's lost people in this town. There's people that have a... There, I, believe there's, I believe there's believers, no doubt. But I believe there's also a lot of people who are, who are in Ada, in this, this town, who have been told that they're a believer because they walked an aisle or they was at a youth camp and somebody said, squeeze my hand after I pray and that will signify that you're a believer. You know, me and Justin ran across a guy in the Shawnee Mall and we was witnessing before we got kicked out of there. Um... 
This guy, you know, he's talking to him. He was a very vulgar young man, had a vulgar belt buckle on, just a vulgar guy. And we're sharing the gospel. And all of a sudden, it dawned on him. The light switched on, not to the gospel, but the fact that he'd already done that deal. That's his words. I've done that deal. I said, you've done what deal? He said, that deal. I've done it. And I said, finally, I said, "Are are you saying that you've been saved? Yeah, that deal. I've been saved. That, that sounds, you know, silly. That's tragedy. It's tragedy that people are more, they find more importance on making sure we can send in a big number to the Baptist messenger that says, look, we got this many. You know, sometimes I knew a guy that he went, every time he went to the county jail, he was saving people, the same people, every time he went in. I mean, you can't save more people than what's in there. And somehow it comes out right. Does that make sense? You can't turn in more salvations than the populace in Ada. You can't do it. It's like those reports that come out of Africa. All these evangelistic crusades. We saved 100,000 in one meeting. There's a pastor that I know of from there named Conrad Mbewe. He says, you can't find those converts with a telescope. They're not anywhere to be found. Churches don't rise in numbers. Nothing happens. But there's one guy that claimed a million converts. This is a nut. But he claimed a million converts in one of his Spirit-filled crusades. A million. The people living there are going, we ain't met none of them. We are to go. We're going to be opposed. Listen to this and just to go, just listen to this and just see how this sounds somewhat like what we read in Numbers. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple. This is, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 3. I'm starting in verse 1. Now, Peter and John... We're going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. <clears throat> what are they doing? They're going to pray. They're going to intercede to God, right? He's told them to go. They've already been preaching. And now what are they doing? They're praying. They're continuing in prayer. And it says, A man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. People that were crippled and such, they weren't even allowed in the temple. But they couldn't be a benefit to the family. They were just more of a a liability. So, look, we're going to set you here while we go in the temple and pray. You sit here and just get what you can get. I mean, you got to kind of carry your own weight a little bit. Sit here and just beg. So people are walking by. I mean, think about it. All these people just going into the temple to pray. And here's this man begging. And Peter and John were about to go in the temple, and he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him. As did John and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. The man was healed. He rose up and began to walk. People started coming. All the, look, in verse 9, all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who said the beautiful gate of the temple and was asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. Now look at this. And while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's, 
And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. He says, men of Israel, now listen to this. Why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Do you see what he's doing? He's doing the same thing that Moses did when he built an altar and he called the name of it, the Lord is my banner. Men of Israel, why are you looking at us? And what he, listen, any, listen, folks, anytime you're in the book of Acts and you start seeing these miraculous things that happen, they're not, they're not there to show that, hey, these people have healing gifts and everybody should be healed. No, they're not. They're there for the purpose of God highlighting an event using a miraculous sign to show that God is authenticating it. And then those men who he, have, who he has authorized in return are pointing back to Christ. And they use that as a platform to proclaim the gospel. They're not saying, line up at five this evening and we're going to heal everybody. They're saying, turn from your sins. Look what he goes on and says. He says, don't look at us like we did it. He says in 13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob... The God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus. Now listen, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy One and the Righteous One and asked for a murder to be granted to you. This guy would not be in the politically correct crowd today, would he? They come going, whoa, who are you? I'm nobody. God is and the God of your fathers. He raised up the one you turned you gave over to Pilate and you crucified. Your voice was against him. He's the one that did this. What a message. And he says, you den- in verse 14, you denied the Holy One and Righteous One and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by his name, and by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. The Lord is our banner. He is our standard that we look to. Now, I'm going to skip on over here. We get into chapter 4. They're brought before the council. They're questioned. And it gets on down. I'm going to pick up in verse uh, 21. It says, And when they had further threatened them, now what do we got here? What is this that we see? We got the Amalekite, the picture of that, the opposition coming, right? And it says, And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Now listen. When the believers, or it says in verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends. They reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Now listen. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord. Who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot vain things? 
The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your words with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They were opposed, they were threatened, they praised God, and they prayed, and they were filled with boldness to continue to proclaim and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Lord is our banner. He is our standard. I'm going to finish with Hebrews chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by, go, by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The commission is to go. The commission is to go. Let's, let's get rid of everything that, that's trying to oppose us. The indwelling sin, the opposition on the outside. Let's go. He says, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This might be a good day for your Christian life and my Christian life to take a big turn in the right direction. This is a very, very, very important day in America, is it not? I wish, I wish that was why, Don, but that's not why. Now you're all kind of getting a little nervous. What's he fixing to do? It's Super Bowl Sunday. I mean, people will commit suicide probably on this day. There's probably people in the churches that have finally come to the altar of prayer today to pray that Peyton Manning... Could go out on top. And, I, and listen, folks, you think I'm kidding? I'm not kidding. Now, I, I talked Wednesday night about something that I know I should have been doing a long time, and there's always something that comes that hinders it. I told my wife, I said, I feel like I've dropped the ball. I don't feel like I've led in what I feel like God has laid on my heart, but 
I want so much to be a part of a church that is corporately praying. So I thought the only day that really seems to work is Sunday evenings. We got a building. No, we're not. We don't have a Sunday evening service. We can pray. And the next thought that hit my mind was it's Super Bowl Sunday. I'll mess up everybody's night. Okay, here's where I want the the change to happen. Those football players, their whole life is about that game. Your whole your whole career is measured on he was great, but he never won a Super Bowl. Oh man, I love that guy, but man, he just I'm just I mean, I'm upset over it that he didn't win a Super Bowl. That's what we hear. We're not of this world, folks. Listen, I'm not against Super Bowl. I like it. I'll probably watch highlights, might watch the end of it, whatever it is. But I know right now, tonight, there are people that are lost. I know right now, there's men and women on the field in China and in India and in Germany and in Ireland and in Europe and all of these different places and actually right here in America who are out there in the fight. And we need those people that intercede while they're on the front lines. Heard this message that on, kind of on this, it was on this the, uh, over in Exodus in the 17th chapter. And he talked about when they stormed the beaches of Normandy. Talked about how that... Uh, you know, listen, there's got to be a way that you fight the enemy. If When they stormed the beaches of Normandy, if they would have just took off and tried to, you know, the, the, the citadels and the fortresses that they had, I mean, they would have just been annihilated. But what happened was the big ships off the shore would fire the heavy artillery in there. And what it does is it, it starts shaking those fortresses until there's a break, until there's an opening to where the ground guys can can start advancing. To advance without the heavy artillery is insane. It's suicide. You're going to lose. We got people that have said the most important thing we need is for you to pray. We're trying to advance. We need you to pray. This guy that I heard this message on, on this 17th chapter of Exodus... He said his wife, he says sometimes his wife will say, what day is it? And he'll say, well, it's Thursday. Now, you got to realize these people are in China. And when it's Thursday morning in China, it's Wednesday night over here, right? And she said, I knew it was Thursday morning. Because I know that the brethren meet together on our behalf to pray on Wednesday nights. And I can feel it. When you're in a place that's so dark and so oppressed and people halfway across the world are praying for you, she said, I can feel, I knew it was Thursday. I can tell. When he talks about all these witnesses that we're surrounded by, every one of these witnesses, you know what they're doing? They're pointing to Christ. They're saying, look to Christ. They're saying, have faith in Christ. Look to Jesus. That's what they're saying. That's what the witness is. 
Church, we're not on a playground. We're in a war zone. And we're acting like we're on leave or something. And I'm not trying to beat up on you. I'm putting myself, I may just be talking to myself, and you may just have to hear it. There's, there's got to be a, a change in the way that I follow Christ. If you want to be where Christ is, he says it over here in the 13th chapter of this same book of Hebrews. He says, uh, said, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. And he says, therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. You want to go where Jesus is? He's out there. He's out there where there's a need. Oh, he's here. We want to go where he's at. We want to follow in his footsteps. We want to do what he's doing. We want, to, we want to be like Christ. Let's get outside the camp and let's go out there and let's bear his reproach. Would you stand with me today? I do want to invite everyone that is interested. Um, I will be coming up here at 6 this evening to pray. And you're all welcome to come. I'm not trying to throw a guilt trip on anybody. That's not my intention. And if it's come across that way, I do apologize. If you have plans, I understand. But for anybody that desires to come and can come, come and, and we will we will intercede to the Lord. Are y'all y'all got a song, Denny? Okay. All right. Well, I'm I'm going to just say a prayer, and while y'all are coming, and then I'll let him officially dismisses father lord god today um, i pray lord today that all of the nonsense that's in my life I, I pray that you would just wipe it aside and i know it's not always that easy you are our banner you are our standard you're the one that we look to for salvation you're the one that we look to as we go forward we are very weak and we are very needy and we have a great god who supplies all of our needs he strengthens us where we where we cannot do it on our own you're so beyond worthy to be praised and worshiped and adored for how loving and good and kind that you have been and are to us god help us to die to self help us to be dead to the call of sin and help us to be alive to Christ in a living way that shouts and proclaims your praises. And if there's any here today that does not know you, God, break through. Tear those walls down. Rip that heart of stone out of them. Put a heart of flesh in there. Give them eyes to see and ears to hear, a mind to understand, a heart to believe, God. A new nature, Lord, a new creation in Christ Jesus. In his name I pray, amen.